0: Um, Well, I wanted to um, take this time to introduce our guest speaker today. Her name is Tracy Valcocha. She is a dear friend of mine and prayer warrior. Um, I wrote down a few things that I felt like were um, important to say. Tracy seeks the Lord with all her heart. She listens for his voice and doesn't follow a stranger's. She hides God's word in her heart so that she will not sin against God. She walks both in dignity and humility. Her hands are used for serving others and comforting others, and she clothes herself in the full armor of God so she can withstand the attacks of the enemy. She gives generously to the needy, the oppressed and the widow. Jesus said that the fulfillment of the law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Tracy, the Lord is very pleased with you. You, don't, you, do, you do not um, despise his correction. You surrender to his perfect will. And we are delighted to have you speak today and share what the Lord put on your heart. So let's welcome Tracy.
1: Wow. (laughs) I am so honored. Thank you, Audrey. And thank you, Jesus, for trusting me to feed your sheep. That's why I'm here. I felt like God said, the faithful servant feeds the sheep what they need. And so I said, Lord, what do you have for your sheep today? And he gave me something beautiful. He always does that, doesn't he? So I'm sorry if I'm just a puddle up here. I have no idea if this is going to continue or if I'll be composed, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The Lord loves every single one of us, and not one of us is here by accident. That's the beauty of of just our life in Christ. Nothing's by accident. So because I'm not used to doing this I'm going to be reading from my notes and just looking up Um, I just can't memorize all of this but as I was seeking the Lord and I said God what what do you have for for your people I sensed he was asking me what has been a burden on your heart for the body of Christ lately So as I pondered this question, I began to think about how much I desire to see the body of Christ live out and experience authentic victory over the trappings of the world and the flesh and the devil, but how little it seems to actually be a living reality for most of us, including myself. So as I sought him for answers, he began to highlight the revelation I'm about to share with you regarding water baptism and the key role it plays in the life of a serious follower of Jesus. I realize there's two different groups of people here today, those that have experienced water baptism as a believer in Jesus and those that have not. The vast majority here today probably have, but by the end of our time together, I pray that each one of us will have a deeper appreciation and understanding of this profound subject. Hebrews 6, two refers to the doctrine of baptisms as being one of the foundation stones of salvation in scripture there's three baptisms mentioned john's baptism which was a repentance for repentance and the forgiveness of sins a christian baptism which is entering into christ by faith and a holy spirit baptism which is the supernatural empowerment from heaven Baptism is defined from the Greek as total immersion. All of a person is involved. There are two ways to totally immerse. One is to submerge underwater, and the other way is to pour on top of from above, kind of like picture Niagara Falls. John's baptism required three things. Repentance, a public confession of sin, and evidence that a person had really changed. When Jesus came to be baptized by John, he had no sins. John recognized this and said in Matthew three fourteen, I need to be baptized by you, but you're coming to me. Jesus' response was, let it be so now, for it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus did not say so that I can fulfill all righteousness. In this statement, he was identifying himself with all those that would come after him through the waters of baptism. That's what we as New Testament believers are doing. When we enter into the waters of baptism, we're completing or we're fulfilling all righteousness. During Jesus' earthly baptism, all three persons of the Trinity were present that day, endorsing his baptism. Jesus was in the water, the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove, and the Father spoke from heaven, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. In this instance, God went all out to show the absolute importance of baptism in water. And I just want to note that Jesus did not perform any miracles or do any public teaching or preaching until his baptism and being filled with the Holy Spirit. The Lord is calling his church back to the basics. Jesus is our pattern in all things. He's wanting us to be sure that our foundation stones are set and secure, not just for ourselves, but for our children as well. Many prophetic voices are speaking about a billion soul harvest that's coming into the world very soon. We as God's covenant people need to have our foundation stones set and secure in order to be the strong and able harvesters he needs us to be for this great task. It will basically be all hands on deck. Every person here from the youngest to the oldest actually knows more than new believers are gonna know coming into the kingdom. God has been training many of us for years for the very season we're about to enter of an unprecedented harvest of souls into his kingdom. But the truth is, in any journey, we can only lead as far as we have personally gone ourselves. God, in His mercy today, is giving us a window of opportunity to be sure we're obediently grounded in His word and in His commandments regarding water baptism. Our Father's giving us an opportunity to be sure that we, His people, are built up and ready to build on the only foundation that will stand, and that's Jesus Christ. So Jesus' last words or his great commission carry a lot of weight. Anyone's last words are often their most important words and the, th- the theme they want to leave the earth, um, leave behind in the earth. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Some have the false idea that one must learn all there is to know about baptism before they can enter into it. However, based on the great commission of Jesus, his command is to first make disciples, then baptize them in his name, and finally to teach them what they need to know. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have access, by faith, into this grace in which we now stand." It's through our faith in Jesus that we've been justified or declared not guilty. That's why we should be baptized, in order to complete or carry out the righteousness that we accepted by faith at our salvation. I'm not saying a person that's not baptized is not saved. The blood of Jesus, God's spotless lamb, has thoroughly paid the price for all of mankind to be saved. Baptism, however, is a far more important thing than the average Christian understands today. So let's unpack the spiritual significance of water baptism. Romans 6, 3 through 11 says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who's died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him, For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Through baptism, we, by faith, enter into Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection, We're literally acting out the reality of the faith we profess in Jesus' resurrection. After baptism, our life does not belong to us anymore. By faith, we have died, and we are now in Christ. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ in me. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans seven, one through seven says, or don't you know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a person as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she's released from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she'll be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's freed from that law so that she's no more an adulteress though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married to another, to him who is raised from the dead, That we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So before Christ enters our lives, we're bound or married to the sin nature. We cannot free ourselves. Christ is the remedy. His death, his resurrection, has freed all mankind from bondage to sin. When we enter into his death by faith, that watery grave becomes a joining of ourselves to Christ's body. It's a total marriage commitment for eternity. Have you ever found yourself feeling hopeless about a certain habit or a sinful pattern that you seem to continually fall into? You've cried out to God many times, begging him to free you from a vice that seems to consistently drag you in the wrong direction. I know I've been there. This word today is good news. It's an important part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we meditate on the truths I'm presenting, it brings freedom. The Bible says in Hosea 4.6 that God's people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. But Jesus says in John 8.32, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So next, we're going to go over two Old Testament stories. The kids are going to know these stories, the first being the crossing of the Red Sea, the Israelites. And it's referenced in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 10:1 and 2, and it says, For I do not want you to be unaware, believers, that our fathers were all under the cloud in which God's presence went before them, and they all passed miraculously and safely through the Red Sea, and all of them were baptized into Moses, into his safekeeping as their leader in the cloud and in the sea. Every Israelite in that story passed through two experiences. The cloud of God's presence came down upon them from above and they passed through the Red Sea. They were baptized into Moses in the cloud and also in the sea. This is a pattern of the double baptism every true believer needs to experience. The baptism from above through the Holy Spirit and the baptism of water. The late British missionary and Bible teacher, Derek Prince, says, It was the water that cut off the Egyptians. The Israelites had been saved from judgment in Egypt by the blood of the Passover lamb, but that didn't separate them from the Egyptians. It was the water that separated them. We can believe in the blood of Jesus and be saved, but we are not separated from the slavery and dominion of sin until water baptism By faith, we're baptized into Christ. He becomes our new leader. In order to enter Christ, we must pass under the cloud, the outpouring of His Spirit above, and through the water, baptism. It's a very clear picture. The baptism of the Israelites was like that of the Christian baptism, in that it represented a transition of leadership, a moving out of one thing into another. Galatians 3.27 says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Our new life is empowered by the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us. The writer of Hebrews 11.29, when referring to the children of Israel, says, By faith... They passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. One can only access this new life by faith in the finished work of Jesus. Moses was God's mouthpiece. He went to Pharaoh and declared, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may serve me. Jesus died to make us free so that we can freely serve our Father with our whole heart. Another quote from Derek Prince, a person can have their sins forgiven and still be a rebel and keep on sinning. It's a historical fact that when Jesus hung and died on that cross 2,000 years ago, the rebel in all of us was executed that day. That's the only way out. There's no other solution to getting rid of the rebel. The only solution is execution. The outward process is water baptism, leaving the old nature controlled by sin in that watery grave and coming up a new creature in Christ Jesus. Romans 517 says, For if by the sin or the trespass of the one man, Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Just like the Old Testament slave masters were cut off from the Israelites at the water's edge, so our slave master, or Adam's sin nature that we were all born with, is cut off of us by faith in the waters of baptism. We can never teach, train, or master that rebel within. It must be put to death. At the edge of the Red Sea, the children of Israel were in a crisis. Their slave masters were pursuing them with the intent to bring them back into slavery. If God did not intervene in a supernatural way, they were doomed to return to their old life. But God As believers in Jesus, we all face that same crisis. God, in his mercy, has sent Jesus to free us from the bondage of sin that we were all born into. By faith, as we step into those waters of baptism, we are entering into the supernatural provision of God, where we can and should expect our lives to look different coming out the other side. Galatians 5.1 says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again with a yoke of bondage. So what does this look like when I'm faced with the same old temptations that assaulted me before my baptism experience? For me personally, it looks like this, and oftentimes I'll say, I do this over communion. I just bought a bunch of communion cups um, filled at home, and I take communion regularly. And as I take communion, I remember, I am one with my Lord. I am, he is mine and I am his, and I say things like this all the time. I am a new person in Christ. That old way of living is behind me. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ is living in me, empowering me to live the life he's called me to live. It is by his faith and the finished work of his cross that I'm drawing my strength. His death was my death. His life and strength to overcome are now mine. I will will not walk in defeat and slavery to sin any longer." Colossians 3.3 says that I died, and my life is now hidden with Christ and God. When God looks at me, he sees Jesus' perfect sacrifice for all my sin. So when I look at myself, I choose to see Jesus in me. When I look into the word of God, I choose to believe it more than what I feel or see about myself. The finished work of Jesus is my new reality, and I choose to draw my strength from Christ alone. Colossians 3, 1 through 7 says, Since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. So put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the one life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So this scripture reference I just read it highlights a practical application that any baptized believer needs to put into practice daily. As our mind is being renewed by the scriptures, we need to purposely choose to make God's word our new reality in spite of what our emotions might be telling us. So another Old Testament story that the kids are going to recognize is Noah's Ark. And it's referenced in the New Testament in First Peter 3:20 20 through 22. It says, To those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few, eight in all, were saved through water, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels and authorities and powers in submission to him. So the ark was a picture or an antitype to baptism. Judgment was coming. There was only one way to escape, and that would be in the ark, which is a picture of Jesus Christ. In the ark, or Jesus, we can safely pass through the waters of judgment It's the only way. And next we're going to talk about something that is mentioned first in Genesis and is kind of a theme throughout the Bible, and that's circumcision, which was a sign of the covenant that God had with his people. The first mention, like I said, is in Genesis, and circumcision is a procedure performed on males to remove a small piece of flesh. Circumcision served as a sign of Israel's covenant with God, marking them as his chosen and treasured people. Genesis 17, 9 through 12 says, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you will keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you will keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So throughout the remainder of the Old Testament, we frequently see the division between the circumcised and the uncircumcised, or God's covenant people and outsiders. In the book of Joshua, chapter 5, 1 through 9, before Joshua could lead God's people into the promised land, we see the Lord required him to circumcise all of the second generation males that had been born to the Israelites in their 40-year journey through the wilderness. After Joshua obeyed this command so that every single male among them was now circumcised, the Lord said, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And the place was called Gilgal, which means to roll. Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines reproach as that which is the cause of shame or disgrace. So in essence, God was rolling away the shame and disgrace of their former slavery that day, thus preparing them for the new life ahead. I see today as being a sort of a Gilgal moment for us. As individuals and as families, this message is causing us to take stock and ask, are we all in this covenant with God through Jesus? God wants us all to be on the same page moving forward. In the book of Exodus, God begins making references to a circumcision of the heart He equates an uncircumcised heart with a hard, stubborn heart. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, God makes a beautiful promise to his people. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your children to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. In the book of Jeremiah, God makes several references to the uncircumcised hearts and ears of his people. In the book of Ezekiel thirty-six, twenty-five through 27, he makes another promise. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. This is what I believe to be a messianic promise, a promise that was fulfilled in Jesus. Colossians 2, 9 through 13 says, For in him, Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. So as was illustrated in the Old Testament, Jewish circumcision was the putting off of a small piece of flesh. Christian circumcision is the putting off of the whole flesh, our body of sin. Romans 2.29 says, A person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit. In this natural world, we all know that when a body has died, it needs to be buried. The same is true in the Spirit. If we have truly died with Christ, we must be buried. But just like Jesus, we don't stay in the grave. There's a resurrection were then raised with Christ by faith and empowered by the same Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. So what are the requirements for a Christian baptism? It's very simple, actually, according to Scripture. One must hear the gospel. Someone's got to tell the good news that Jesus died, was buried, was raised again. And if someone believes this, they qualify to continue on to the next step, which is one must repent. Then Jesus said in Acts 2.38, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And lastly, one must believe. In Mark 16, 15 through 16, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. So as we wrap up this teaching on baptism, I ask that each one of us take a good look at our hearts and ask the Lord, am I a serious follower of you? If the answer is yes and you've already been water baptized, let the revelation of the truths that I just shared with you empower you to walk in the freedom that Jesus died to give you and is already yours in him. In John 10, 9, Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved as baptized believers, there's no doubt we love Jesus. We're so thankful that he made a way for us to come to the Father, that he is the door. However, he is also our heavenly bridegroom. And he gave me a picture of this this morning. The bridegroom carries the bride over the threshold of the door. He does not stay at the door with her for the rest of their lives, admiring the door. He Brings her into the house. And God wants us, as baptized believers, I'm speaking to those that are baptized, we adore the door. It's Jesus. But he is open so that we can enter into all that the Father has done for us through his covenant with Jesus. We are hidden with Jesus, and it's time to go through and start walking in that abundant life he's died to give us. So... Um, if you've not yet made the important decision to be baptized in water, please decide today that you will obey this command as soon as possible. There's a baptismal right behind me, as well as available hot tubs, bathtubs. I have actually baptized someone in a bathtub. These would serve the purpose of baptism for anyone that's serious about following Jesus' command. And you can just see me after service and we can arrange for that to happen. Um, The book of Acts has many accounts of people coming to Christ and being baptized within hours of their conversion. In fact, that was more the norm than than anything else. So there's no religious formula to this. Obedience will bring the fruit. So as we purpose to be true disciples of Jesus, allowing him to build a strong foundation in each one of us, we can be sure that God our Father will be glorified. So I'm just going to end with one last scripture and it's to paul and he it's it's philippians 3 8-12 through 12, and just to kind of give you a point of reference because it kind of starts in the middle of a statement he's saying i did all these things that made me the best jew there could be and now when i came face to face with jesus i realized that was all garbage and none of it mattered all that mattered not that I've already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you did it all, and we are the very blessed recipients of all that Jesus paid for and all that was in your heart when you sent him to this earth. Lord, I thank you that every single person here has been called to love you and to live their life for you. You created them for your glory. And I pray, Father, that you would remind us of the scriptures, Lord, that we need to know that were read today, Lord, that you would help us to obey you and hear your voice and follow after you, Lord, to make sure that we are disciples of Jesus that are serious about laying our life down for you. I thank you, Lord, that you call those that are weary, those that are worn down and have just been feeling like they've just been in a fight for for years, Lord. I thank you that you're calling them and the rest that they seek is in you alone. So, God, I thank you, Jesus, that you're drawing us by your spirit, and you are giving us every tool we need to be victorious in this life. And, Jesus, we love you, and we thank you, Lord, for being our Savior, our Lord, our husband, and every other thing that we're ever going to need, Lord. So we just commit this time to you, Lord, and I thank you, God, for this opportunity to read your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.